Today on the Multiply Podcast, we're talking about authentic biblical community, one of our 10 characteristics of a healthy church. Check it out. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Multiply Podcast. My name is Jared. My name is David. Wow, it took you a little while there. Sorry, I was just finishing a drink. Mm, clearing your throat? Coffee. That's Thanks good. for my drink. You're welcome. Yeah, I bought that for you this morning. Just Grande. Friendship. Iced coffee. Half and half. Community. Keto friendly. Yes. David is on a new kick. Yep. One of these new fads, just like it's the internet. Basically, if you're familiar with the keto diet, it's the keto diet plus all the sugar you want. <laughs> It's the keto diet plus as much carbs and yeah. sugar as you want. Keto diet plus a bowl of pasta and a slice of pizza and a <laughs> deli sandwich for lunch. Uh, no, I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm going full keto just because I don't know enough about it. Um, but I am just taking a few weeks here to take a break from carbs and sugars, and partly because you and I are going to be in Orlando in a couple weeks, and I plan on not having a shirt the whole time. So. <laughs> Well, I can't wait for that. I'll tell you, I'll be the first to say, we hope you get that six pack by the time we hit Orlando. <laughs> Man, it's exciting. Uh, today is our first day doing not only audio, but we're also on video now. Hi, friends. Anybody watching us on YouTube? We're so glad you're here. Now you get to glance and see what we look like. Yeah, there's a lot of mystery out there in the internet. A lot of the yeah. a lot of the chat rooms have been really buzzing about. What do David and Jared look like? Yeah. And so, There's uh, a whole thread on Reddit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised you know what Reddit is. I'm proud of you. <laughs> That's all I know about it. There's threads <laughs> on it. So, but uh, yeah, we're really excited. We're, we're taking the podcast uh, into the video world and uh, we'll be posting on YouTube. You can find us at the Multiply Podcast on there. And uh, I'm also slowly uploading back uh, audio only episodes. So you, uh, you'll see a little picture, but you won't get to see our live faces. Um, and so we're, we're excited. If YouTube is more your thing and video is more your thing than audio, now you'll have that opportunity as well. So Dave, we're excited to be here today. Uh, give us a little, uh, a little insight. We've been recently going through uh, 10 different characteristics of a healthy church yep. that we were a part of helping kind of form and shape the language. And, yeah. um, and so we're on, uh, we have two left. Yep, we've gone through eight nine. of them. Awesome. So today's number nine. Uh, so tell us what it is, and then give us a little uh, little description. Of what yeah. We're working with so today. the ninth characteristic, and again, these aren't necessarily in, in any sort of order of priority, but the ninth characteristic of a healthy church, something that we think uh, should be able to be measured and identified within a healthy local church, is authentic biblical community. You know, this one is important because it's the only one of the ten that has actually two adjectives: <laughs> authentic biblical community. Um, here's a definition. Authentic biblical community is centered around the person and work of Jesus and the mission of God. And this type of community is marked by hospitality, transparency, and the willingness to have hard conversations for the sake of health. So let me read it one more time. Authentic biblical community is centered around the person and work of Jesus and the mission of God. This type of community is marked by hospitality, transparency, and the willingness to have hard conversations for the sake of health. So as we start to lean into this conversation about Biblical community, authentic biblical community. Um, Jared, what are some of the just biblical foundations for our human need for community? I think there's so much evidence in society and throughout history that um, we are driven to relationship, to be connected. It's hard to get a sense of who we are outside of meaningful relationship. It's. I remember hearing Keller one time say it's hard to have even an aesthetic experience outside of 
community because you think about as soon as you eat something delicious, you want to post it or send people a picture of it or share it with the person next to you. Like we're just wired that way. And I think the scriptures give us, um, the, the Christian worldview gives us one of the more compelling explanations for why we're that way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it starts in the creation account with Adam, right? Like God is creating all these things and everything he says is good. And then he creates Adam, and there's one thing that he says is not good, and that's that man is alone, hmm. which indicates to us that the very design of humanity is that we would be in relationship. And uh, and then the the words that Adam uses in the original language when uh, when Eve is there are pretty pretty astonishing, with the joy and um, his affection for her and things like that. And so I think you see that all throughout the creation account. But then even as you move forward, like God chooses to work through a, a nation of Israel. It's a, it's a community is really what it is. Yeah. It's a group of people. And so he calls them together, he gives them identity, and now he calls them to have a mission, which is to um, be a blessing to all the, all the world by revealing the truth of who God was. That was done through community. It wasn't. It wasn't a few individuals. It wasn't one guy or one one person who got a special call. There were certain significant leaders in that community, but ultimately, it was the community's job to reveal who God was, and and they needed each other and depended on each other, and uh, in order to to do that. And yeah. so, I think that's absolutely throughout the Old Testament we see that model. And it's worth um, just just noticing that Adam's loneliness was before sin entered the world. Yeah, right? yeah. And so this idea that needing other people is a result of our brokenness, it's actually our brokenness that probably distorts our need for other people. Sure. But our need for other people is rooted deeper than the fall. It's rooted actually in, I can't remember if you said this exactly this way, but it's rooted in creation specifically. I think it's Genesis one twenty six where God says, let us, third person, make man, humankind in our image. And there's this uh, realization that, you know, we worship and serve a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who has eternally existed in this perfect loving relationship uh, with each other, meaning that love is part of God's nature. It's not a learned behavior. He didn't start loving when he created us. He already right. knew perfectly what it meant to love because he's a triune God, three in one. And so when I think of, you know, if we if we get this topic wrong or if we ignore it, or there's even people out there who have been hurt by church who, who say, I'm going to have a faith, but I'm going to have it on my own. Right. Um, I don't think that the writers of Scripture, especially the New Testament writers, ever envisioned that type of Christianity, could have possibly wrapped their minds around what it would look like to live out an isolated faith outside of, like, persecution or, you know, being in a jail cell or on an island like John, you know, but in normal life. So when I think of biblical community, I think, one, biblical community allows us to bear the image of God the way we were created to, Right. In relationship, it allows us, as you mentioned, to to live out our identity as the people of God. But then also, as you hinted towards, um, it's part of our mission to yeah. to 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 become the people of God, to be um, in relationship w- with one another, and in our relationships with each other, to really uh, reflect the way that God loves us. I mean, Jesus in John seventeen, He prays, you know, that for us that we would love each other, that we would care for each other the way that him and the father are connected and it's through our love for each other that the world wouldn't even recognize that there's something unique about us and so there's so much biblical truth beneath this value of authentic biblical community yeah absolutely and i mean it's it's relevant to look at the early church really the early church was 
pockets of community that shared shared a belief and shared a mission and um, and loved each other despite massive persecution. So that's what really what what do we have more in common with them today? Is that more than they didn't they didn't have buildings the way we have and mm-hmm. so much of what we call church now they didn't have that but what they did have is people who loved each other sacrificed for each other lived in community did life together yeah and um, and actually I think in some ways we're we can lose that today yeah. you know and so that's what we're talking about this we're gonna solve all the problems today mm. I hope this will be good yeah and, and the early church was crossing some racial divides that were long held between Jews and Samaritans and Jews and Gentiles, um, and even socioeconomic. Um, yeah, rich and poor, yeah, men and together. women, right? Uh, so um, many. And, and it became such a radical new community that it really couldn't be ignored. Right. And that really, that, of course, and the truth of the gospel and the work of the Spirit contributed so significantly to the explosive growth of the early churches that this was a community that nobody had seen before. And at the beginning of the definition, it says that authentic biblical community is centered around, which implies that all community is centered around something, which I think is true, centered around the person and work of Jesus and the mission of God. Um, In your experience, like being in local church, being around different ministries, are there other things that churches can get centered around other than the person and work of Jesus and the mission of God? Uh, yeah, a hundred percent. Probably most people listening have had some sort of experience where they've witnessed that, right? So, it could be people uh, centering around. We we've, we dealt with this a lot. People um, who are centered around a ministry, you know, or something that they love doing. Whether mm. it's singing on the worship team. Come on, we all know the worship team tends to. They tend to be. Lucifer was a worship leader. Yeah. <laughs> okay, a T-shirt that says that. Nobody, nobody loves hearing themselves sing more than uh, more than a person on the worship team, right? <laughs> so, but it could be any ministry. And we, and I remember one having these conversations with people like, "Hey, we feel like this is a duplicate ministry. We need to consolidate." We and it was like, "Well, if you if you do that, I'm leaving the church. I'm le-, you know because ultimately they love that thing more than anything else. And um, but it could be it, it it could be around powers of position. It could be around. Um, who's been here longest, yeah, yeah. who has personal opinions on sure. certain things, where people, who stands uh, against the pastor or for the pastor. I mean, right, it could be all kinds of different things mm-hmm. that create little pockets of community in, in the church. I think sometimes um, in, in America, this has been a challenge over the years. Um, a church is becoming centered around political causes instead of biblical causes. Um, you know, churches getting centered around um, overly centered around just creating a space where people um, feel loved and welcome to the point where they avoid the truth claims of Scripture sometimes. Sure. Um, churches can get centered around um, just trying to create a place where everybody likes each other, and, and then they become a very specific type of club, so to speak. And, you know, clubs sort of exist for the insiders, and churches exist for the outsiders. And so there's definitely some differences. I remember... Um, this all kind of clicked for me one time when um, I was reading uh, C.S. Lewis's book, The Four Loves, and he talks about the difference between friendship love and romantic love. He said in romantic love, uh, the two individuals sort of stand face to face and staring into each other's eyes, and it's the shared gaze at each other that keeps them you know, in the relationship together, the love for each other. But in friendship love, he said it's, it's two people standing shoulder to shoulder, 
And it's their shared gaze at something outside of themselves that keeps them connected. So C.S. Lewis says, like, the opening line of every blossoming friendship is, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. You know, so, mm. you you know, I, I experience this at times. You know, I'll be walking in the airport wearing a Liverpool jersey, and I see one other dude wearing a Liverpool jersey. And immediately it's like, I don't know anything about his religion, his faith, his politics, his, where he is at at life. He could be 40 years older than me. He could be 20 years younger than me. Like, I automatically see, like, this is my friend, hmm. right? Because we have this really cool thing yeah. in common. So C.S. Lewis says that. And then I, at the same time, I was reading a book by D.A. Carson, Love in Hard Places, where he says, um, the church is a band of natural enemies who love each other for Jesus' sake. And when I kind of put those two things together, I realized, like, what makes us a church is not how infatuated we are with each other. And actually, I think it hurts the church. It hurts the church's mission when the when community of the church is based around commonality, even likability, even yeah. proximity. Those are all good things, right? Commonality is good. Proximity is good. Technology is fine. Those things are good as secondary, uh, maybe support systems for community. But when right. they become the main thing you gather around, the problem is, is that now you're standing shoulder to shoulder with someone and you're looking at something that's not as sure as Christ. Right. And is not as compelling as his mission. And so back in youth ministry, you know, people would always ask, how do you deal with cliques in youth ministry, right? Because cliques are like the enemy of authentic biblical community. And I, I remember getting to this point where I thought, my job is not to get teenagers to like each other. Like, other organizations can probably do that better than me. But what does that actually accomplish? My job or my responsibility, my calling is to help students see and love Jesus and his mission. And as they start to do that, they'll realize we love the same thing. And it's Jesus and his mission. And that'll keep us connected in meaningful community. Yeah. So let me flesh that out, that thought out with you a little bit. Because I'm wondering if some, some people would hear that and think, well, isn't your job to get students to love each other? Because isn't that what it means to be a Christ follower? So explain that. To explain that, how, how do you differentiate between my job is not to get them to like each other, but I would assume you would think the byproduct of Christian faith is a love for sure people. You know? So I think it's a difference between the goal and the outcome, right? Mm-hmm. So the outcome is people who love each other and will lay their lives down for each other, right? Yeah. But the the but if if you make that the goal then you'll, you'll, you'll compromise to get there, right? So you'll get them all wearing the same T-shirts. You'll get them all liking the same music. You'll get them all thinking the same political thoughts. You'll just try to create all these clones. Basically try to create a subculture of which then you fit everybody into. Exactly. And if people don't fit in, then eventually the system just weeds them out. Yeah. And it's very inward focused, and it's very much centered around how do I feel tonight at the youth service? And are my needs being met? So it's this. It really feeds this consumeristic mentality of like we're here to make you happy. Please don't leave. Next week we're going to have pizza, and <laughs> if that kid was mean to you, we're going to sit them down. And we're going to make you guys be nice to each other, right? Yeah. And so, and obviously, there's times to have important conversations about relationship stuff and the way people are treated, just sure. community standards. I mean, I'm not saying ignore that stuff, right? But I think as far as sustained biblical community that's the outcome of the goal of getting people to see jesus love jesus understand who he is and what he's all about so i would say don't get the don't get the cart in front of the horse sort of deal yeah okay awesome well let's dive a little deeper into this biblical community dave what do you uh you're a senior pastor so you're leading a church where you're striving to see this happen yeah 
I'm interested to uh, to hear from you from a church or ministry perspective. Um, what are what are some of the things that you see need to happen in order to create this sort of culture in your church or what like what are these are these are the things that I need to do in order to move us from maybe an unhealthy biblical community to a healthy biblical mm-hmm. community and you've talked about how it's really centered around adoring the same thing which is Jesus mm-hmm. and so I'd love just some quick thoughts how do you do that and then um, and then is there another piece we've touched on a little bit of a shared mission how do you how do you do that? So what are those two pieces? How do you make that happen within a church or community? Yeah, I mean that's stuff we're trying to figure out right now. I have some thoughts. I certainly don't have the solution. I'm not ready to write a book on on how to do that. But <laughs> um, I think one of the one of the things that can't be overlooked is if you're going to create a culture that um, adores Christ and sees Him for who He is, it requires just faithful gospel preaching, right? Yeah. And making not just individual application at the end of your messages, but church-wide application. And Andy Stanley in his book, um, Communicating for a Change, he, he, he talks about this idea of like, you know, his whole model of preaching is me, we, God, you, we, right? Me, introduce a topic, what it means to you. We, here's what it means for all of us. God, here's what God has to say about it. You, here's what it means for you. But then lastly, we, here's what it means for all of us. Yeah. And so I think it, 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 it takes a certain filter at Scripture, and it takes a certain intentionality to disabuse the American individualistic mentality, right? We're one of the most, arguably, I mean, I'm not an expert on this, but I would guess we're one of the most individualistic societies that's ever existed, at least in the modern world. And even around the world today, you have way more um, family-driven um, cultures in, in um, Asia and in Latin America, but in in America, it's like you're the individual. This is about you, and you shine even at the expense of your family. Um, and I think uh, Scripture has some things to say about what it means to be in community in a way that's not about elevating you from the way you exercise spiritual gifts to the way that you serve, um, to the way that you love and treat people who are different than you. So I think there aren't many sermons that are going to go by where you're not going to have an opportunity to address what does this truth look like in community. How does this shape us? How does this change us? Yeah. So that's one aspect of it. And, and then I th- and here's one. Uh, let me just add to that. Here's one thing I think you do well. Um, it there's a difference between let's say every time you preach or you give a sermon, at the end of the sermon, um, painting a picture of the cross and saying, "Isn't this amazing? Let's all like look what Jesus did for us. Let that warm your hearts." And that's that's great. That works. But something you do so well is you take it a step further and say, "Here's how looking at that." Um, can practically impact the way you think about community, if we're talking about community, right? So here's how looking at the cross, looking at who Jesus is, beholding who he was, believing in what he said. Here's how that not just warms your heart, but that should translate into this sort of action. Yeah. And I think that is a step that a lot of people miss, even when they start to do Christ-centered preaching or gospel-centered preaching. Is, um, they end the message always talking about Jesus, which is amazing, um, but they don't do a great job of connecting why that need impacts the way that they live this thing out in yep. everyday life. Yeah, I think you have to suggest some real life application. Otherwise, it's not you can't, people don't always connect the dots. Not they're not dumb. It's not that sort of an issue. It's just they're not always thinking that way, right? Yeah. And it, I mean, that's probably from years of talking to teenagers, especially junior hires who actually don't even have the physiological makeup to sometimes connect. Um, you know. Uh, things that aren't concrete to things that are. And so, like, so 
to go to your to go to the example you're just saying, like when we look at the cross, we look at Christ is done, and we see when we see Jesus in his dying words saying, "Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do." Like, how does that inform us as far as how we treat people who have hurt us and how we treat people who are different than us? Or when we look at the cross as the work of um, what God did, sending his son out uh, in order to bring us in, uh, that we're spiritual refugees who are outside of the kingdom and God has brought us in. How does that inform the political conversations that are happening right now? And you don't have to be political to bring that up. You can just let people say, this is a tension that Christians should be wrestling with. And the Spirit will help us do that. So I think those things are important. I mean, I, I think another aspect of creating a, a culture of authentic biblical community um, is it starts at the top with your leadership. You know, how does your leadership view their role within yeah. the church? Are they sort of like the guardians of church policy and the guardians of church tradition? Or are they on the front lines of meeting people, serving people, having conversations with people? And... One of the, th- you know, you got to put systems in place, of course, as far as collecting information from guests and that sort of stuff. But systems without a culture of hospitality, ultimately people see through that. Like they, yeah. they realize you got a mechanism to get my information, but nobody here wants to know me. Yeah. Um, and so one of the things that I remember Dan Williams, he said this phrase one time, and I don't know if he got it from somewhere else, but I took it from him. I think he took it from me. Probably. Yeah. And you took it from <clears throat> me. No, me. I created oh, it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, well, it's basically, I'm trying to think of some stupid <laughs> phrase to attribute to you now. <laughs> I thought you forgot it. No, I didn't forget it. I was like trying to think like, what could I say that would make Jared sound so stupid that he came up with it? It's basically like Tweedledee and Tweedledum. <laughs> no, it's, um, uh, moving beyond friendliness, moving beyond friendliness to friendship. Yeah. Moving beyond being friendly to friend, to, to, to friendship. We have a really, you know, you're new to Trinity or newish, uh, to Trinity. Uh, it's a warm culture that's part of my you know my dad who was the founding planting pastor the only pastor the church had until i came in like that's his legacy sure like so warm loving welcoming accepting people want to meet people they go out of their way uh we don't have a long extended greeting time but the time that we do have people move around they greet each other and um that's all great um but i think moving beyond uh being friendly to actually establishing some friendship yeah right so so what what does that look like um i think it looks like beyond just like introducing yourself saying hi my name is david glad you're here and then walking off i heard someone say one time the only thing worse that for a visitor than not being greeted is being greeted quickly and then just left alone because now like all their hope that somebody actually is going to stay with them <laughs> is gone and like, so da- da- david <laughs> friend can we get lunch no no so we're trying to create a culture where like like what you just said, like if you see somebody once, like don't just introduce yourself, learn their name, learn something about them, yeah. have a quick conversation. Just be a good question asker, be a good conversationalist, not as a means to an end because you genuinely care about who they are and you want yeah. to know them. And then if you see them two times, three times, like you should you should start moving beyond just introducing yourself and saying right. hi. And you should start moving towards, hey, maybe we can connect sometime. You know, yeah. maybe, maybe we can have you guys over for dinner. And, and right in the definition, it talks about how, um, authentic biblical community is marked by hospitality, mm. which I think is a tremendous gift that sometimes the church overlooks the significance of opening up your home. It's actually, I think, in in one of the lists of qualifications of an of an elder, it's in there, like yeah. someone who is hospitable in their home towards others. Yeah, and so I think this is so important, especially in our culture today, because 
we live in a culture, I think, that because of technology and where we've gone, people actually desire community more than they ever have before. Because although we're more connected, we're, we're also the loneliest, you know, and psychologists will tell you the studies they've done, we're, we're incredibly lonely. Yeah. Because we see pictures on Instagram, but we're not, neighbors don't know each other, people are not in our, each other's houses as much. And even the version of ourselves we put out there, we, we know it's not really us. Exactly. It's the version of us we want people to experience. Right. So this, I think, becomes so much more important. If the church can do this well, if the church can can uh, get this down, I think their impact would be so massive because everybody wants this. People are desiring it. Even if they don't admit it, deep down, we all want to be loved. We all, This is how we're made, right? And so I think the challenge of why this is so hard to see it happen in a local church is because what it takes is to people when they walk in on a Sunday morning to think this is my mission field. And most people don't think that because, and I'll be honest, I tend to fall into this trap. I think of when I go to Sunday morning, this is my receiving time, Mm. right? My Mm -hmm. family's coming. My kids are going to, they get to go to kids church. My wife and I are going to come. We're going to worship. We're going to, we're going to receive the word. This is going to be a time. It's almost like this is my time to, uplift myself and and that is true Mm -hmm. but the problem is if you only think that way and i think most people do you're not thinking missionally so when someone comes up in their first time it's like it's easy to be friendly because you most people are like hey yeah how are you but you're not thinking man this person may be lonely and maybe disconnected they may not know any person here can i go out of my way can i sacrifice my lunch with my friends to invite this person yeah that's hard it takes a lot more work and, and sometimes it's even simpler than that. Am I willing to, to not run over to my church friend who I want to talk to about the ball game? Yeah. And instead, like, I'm, I, I don't know if I'm going to remember it all, but recently on Twitter, some woman posted, like, here's the three rules that me and my husband have when we go to church. Number one, uh, anyone alone is an emergency. Yeah. So the idea that, like, if we're here and we see anybody standing alone, like to us, it's like 911, we got to get over there, introduce ourselves. Don't let people stand alone. Don't let people be alone. Um, number two is something like our friends can wait. Like we'll have time with our friends. They can wait. This isn't the time for them. I forget what the third one was, but the, the basic idea was like when you come into church, don't, like you just said, I mean, I don't want to summarize everything you said, but it's a mind shift, isn't it? Yeah. And part of biblical community too, part of the danger of talking about biblical community as the people are listening to us is they're only probably, and it's our fault, currently envisioning like a Sunday morning service. Right. But biblical community, churches have to create environments where community can happen as a part of mission and discipleship in all their environments, too. Because as a church grows, it's hard to have real meaningful community on a Sunday morning, right? Yeah. So what are some other things that, that you think churches can be doing to create these community environments? Well, what I think is essential, and this is where we saw a major shift, and I, I was a young adult pastor for um, for three years, and we saw a major shift in our in our uh, group, and one of the essential things is I actually think churches have to facilitate and structure this strategically. Um, they have to they have to create the environment that people in their church, when they're part of their church, they buy into that. And, and we've talked about this before, like what is disciple-making uh, environments, what is disciple-making strategies, all that kind of stuff. So for us, it was it was a small group environment that we basically said, here's what we do to make disciples. You have a small group, you invite people into your small group as, as they, 
become discipled. You you encourage them to then step out and lead their own small group in which they go then invite people. And what ended up happening is people now had a space that was designated um, to be hospitable mm. and to create community. So if I'm leading a small group once a week, for us it was once a week, but it doesn't have to be. Let's say it's once a month, right? In my home, it's very easy now. Whoever I meet along the way on a Sunday, I can now say to them, hey, you know what? We actually we have some friends over um, once a month at our house. We kind of hang out and play. And ours was it was really relational. We wanted it to be that. Um, we'd love for you to come and join. Like all of a sudden now, that helps me so much because I don't have to think through like, oh, I got to talk to my wife. I'm not sure what our calendar looks like. Like, yeah. and I'd love to invite you. Like you now have a designated space where you can invite somebody into and you're always thinking. So our message to them, we've talked about this before, is like always be inviting, always be finding those people who are alone and inviting them in. And I think the problem is if the local church doesn't help create that for people, it's it's not natural yeah. for the human heart. And it just becomes a challenge because you get busy. So in a, an ideal world, you don't need that stuff because people are so bent on mission that their homes are just constantly open. Yeah. But we, that's not the world we live in, right? Because everybody's no. a different place in their faith. So what you're saying is it, it, the church would do well to provide some sort of, I'll call it like an artificial mechanism, like a program or some sort of regularly scheduled dinner party environment that the church people know this exists. And this is a next step for people to come to, you know, sort of always be inviting. If that's your culture, then the question is, to what? And if the next thing is like beyond Sunday morning, like always be inviting to what? To like a Bible study, to a grow class, those things are good. But is that does that make sense as a next step for someone who's just trying to connect? Yeah, and those things are not always community building, relationship True. building as much as they are. you're sitting are, in rows. right. Yeah, exactly. For the most part. It's so different going to a barbecue at someone's house versus going to a Bible study. We all know that. And in fact, most of us would rather go to a barbecue than a Bible study. Yeah. (laughs) Besides the food, why is that? This is more fun. You're, You're with people. You're building relationship, you know? Well, and it's normal. I mean, that's part of the re- it's that's part of the reason why we call our gatherings a trinity outside of the church, and people sometimes we call them dinner parties because for me to say, "Hey, do you want to come to my one group or my small group or my cell group, which is or my life group, which is fine." A lot of good churches use those terms yeah. and use them effectively. To me, to say to somebody, "Hey, I'm, I'm going to a friend's dinner. My friend's having a dinner party. Do you want to come?" Like that's that doesn't require any explanation, really. Yep. As long as it is what it actually sounds like. If you call it a dinner party, then you yeah, get don't there do a and they're, cast, they're anointing people with oil and casting demons <laughs> out of people. We're glad you're here. Come in. Put on a robe. <laughs> Light a Put candle. on a robe. We've got your King James Bible for you. <laughs> <laughs> what church is that? <laughs> uh, I'm not going to name names. <laughs> All right. Well, we're coming to the end here, Dave. So we uh, we got to get to a very important part of this podcast, Yeah, which is... Uh, David's Eats. All right. And, uh, you know, this is the people are very, very interested in this. They want to know what is the best thing you've eaten all week. And actually, you could take the last two weeks because it's been a little bit. Well, last week, my family and I went on a little vacation through PA. Uh, We went to Hershey Park for a couple days. Then we went to Lancaster where we went to the Sight and Sound Theater, which I just want to put a plug in. It's pretty cool. Um, And then we went to um, Philadelphia. This was Fourth of July. So it was packed and crowded and crazy down there, but a lot of fun. So I want to mention two things real quick. At Hershey Park, there's this place called Chocolate World, which you don't have to pay to go into. It's outside of the park. And they have a little bakery. I'm not really a baked goods guy, but I tried a s'mores cupcake. 
that was awesome. Mm. Um, but my favorite thing that I ate, um, this will surprise you because, I'm again, I'm not into sweets, but at Reading Terminal Market in Philadelphia, which is one of my favorite places in the world, there's a famous donut stand called Byler's Donuts. Have we gone? Have you gone? No, I have not. Oh, my goodness. I think it's an it's, it's Amish-run stand, and they make these amazing kind of like rustic style donuts not fa- not super fancy not really like beautiful just like good old-fashioned big the Amish know how to be yummy donuts and they're like 12 bucks for a dozen so they're basically the same you're paying at Dunkin Donuts which wow. is insane and I got one they're famous for their fritters apple fritter and blueberry fritter but and those were good but I got one that had Nutella on top and white cream on the middle oh and it was out of this world good Byler's Donuts in uh, Reading Terminal Market I can't help notice that we're talking about community and friendship today, and you know how much I love donuts, and you did not bring me back a single donut. Mm. I threw some out, actually. Oh, don't you say that. (laughs) Are they still in your trash? (laughs) Yes, in Philly. Hey, everybody. This is the Multiply Podcast. We'll see you guys next time.